You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Through Isaiah, um, over Christmas, because I think people say, well, Christmas you read from the Gospels, but this is the Gospel according to Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah is just absolutely full of the gospel. And uh, the two chapters we're looking at in December are Isaiah 61 and 62. And they're really songs. And last week we saw in Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 9 the, the song of the Lord. And in verses 10 and 11 we're going to look at the song of the justified. So let me read um, verse 10. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Um, I occasionally like to mention songs and I look out at people's faces and see people smile and recognize them, but uh, you do really well with this. Justified and ancient um, I wonder how many, oh yes, Bev knows it, you see, those and Stephen, those who are into kind of um, 1980s disco style. <laughs> it's, it was a song by KLF, who are a rather weird band, and if you look at the lyrics of it, somebody once described it as delightful nonsense, and I actually thought that it's appropriate for how people think about and understand what we're going to look at this morning, that the whole question of being justified. Now, I think it makes incredible sense, but for a lot of people, it doesn't. And here's why. It's like I give you um, painkiller and you don't have pain. Why would you take it? Or um, I provide you with something that you don't think that you need. Well, there are many people who think we don't need Jesus. I think the majority of people think that. It's possible even that some of us here will think that. We like the idea of Jesus. We don't mind other people worshiping Jesus, but we don't need him. And particular when we talk about this idea of being justified, which we're going to look at what it is, but basically how, how are we right with God? I can justify myself. So we've done something that's wrong. We feel bad about certain things. How do you justify yourself? Well, there are different ways that you do it. Some of you, I'll say what I do. You just didn't understand me. If only you understood me. Or it's my circumstances. I I think my favorite was here outside uh, in the courtyard. There was a boy who just smashed up the church. Well, part of the church. He'd smashed up a table tennis table with a crowbar. I don't know where he got the crowbar. Anyway, I took him outside and I was giving him a bit of a row. And he says, it's not my fault. He says, I'm brain damaged, (laughs) which I thought was just a great excuse. Um, And we had a conversation about what that meant. But he was, he'd he'd justified himself. uh, And we will justify ourselves in so many different ways. I think the good news about Jesus is not good news for people who don't think that they need Jesus. And it is a bit like that unwanted Christmas present. 
I remember somebody coming to the church here once and saying, David, I love this church. I'd like to be part of it. Can we just leave out Jesus? Which is like, you haven't quite grasped what we're about. But that's often, that was an honest uh, statement. I think maybe there's another way of putting this as well. There'll be some people, less people, I think, who will go, Jesus can't help me. I'm too far gone. I'm too bad. What I've done is unforgivable. And then we read this verse and also the following verse, which talk about the joy that people receive from knowing Christ. That's a theme that's shot through in Isaiah, Isaiah 12, verse 1. In that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you are angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. And then this great phrase, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. You won't do that if you think, I'm not thirsty. Or Isaiah 12, 4, in that day you will say, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Where does this joy come from, and what is the cause of it? I believe, many times I'd say this, I believe that those of us who are Christians as well, this is addressed, I'm addressing this to those of you who are not yet Christians, but also to those of us who are Christians, that our joy is taken away because we forget what Christ has done for us. And because far too often, even as Christians, we justify ourselves having begun in faith, if you like, we continue by works. And it's a heavy, heavy load to carry. So, let's see in verse 10, let's ask about this righteousness. A righteousness, first of all, that's from out with. Now, we need to ask, what is righteousness? Why is it so important? It basically means, what is right? What is good? It means being right with God. Now, forgive me, I'm, uh, I meant to bring this down, and I always put it on a memory stick, and the great thing about memory sticks is I always forget them. So I need a memory stick to remind me to take the memory stick. But I brought a memory stick with this on it because some of you, even those of you who were brought up as Presbyterians, won't know the answer to this. And I'm not going to embarrass you, but I was going to put it up, but I'll just say it anyway. How did God create man? Question 10 of the Shorter Catechism. And people all said, God created man male and female. By the way, how much we need that. God created man, male and female, after his own image. In knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. By the way, if you knew that, you'd wipe out half the arguments in our culture today. It's just very simple. It's very straightforward. We're made in God's image. Why? What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we look like God because God doesn't have a body. We have knowledge, we have righteousness, and we have holiness. That's how he made us. In other words, when he created human beings, there was nothing wrong with us. 
There was no evil thoughts. There was no tendency to sin. There was nothing wrong with us. Question 18 of the catechism. Wherein consists the sinfulness of that estate wherein to man fell? Talking about the fall of humanity. The sinfulness of that estate wherein to man fell consists in the guilt of Adam's first sin, the want of original righteousness, and the corruption of his whole nature, which is commonly called original sin, together with all actual transgressions which proceed from it. Why is the world such a mess? There's your answer. Human beings fell, and because we fell, it affects the whole creation. There is the want of original righteousness. Even the newborn babies are not pure and without sin. The corruption of his whole nature and the transgressions that proceed from it. I've had great pleasure in reading John Newton's letters, and I read one this morning of, he talks about what this, on the fallen nature of man, and he says, look, there are people who do bad things, and there are people who don't do some bad things, but the problem is, all the bad things stem from the nature within, and all of us have that fallen nature. Who knows, but if you were in the same circumstances as someone else who's just done something dreadful, you might do the same thing. I have to say that for me, that was one of the reasons I became a Christian, because in studying Weimar Germany and the rise of the Nazis and so on, I realized the Nazis were human, and I realized that I was the same, fundamentally the same, and that there's just something wrong with humanity. I I find it unbelievable that we live in a world where there is so much evil, and yet the doctrine of our governing elites, if you like, is that humans are basically good. Humans are not basically good. you, You have to have a particular kind of blindness to think that. So, we don't have righteousness. That's the point. Now, when it talks here about God clothing us in a robe of righteousness, we need to ask what what that means. Some people think it's talking about Jesus, although that is unlikely um, because almost nowhere in Scripture is the Messiah said to be clothed with the garments of salvation. Having said that, in Isaiah 59 verse 17, it says that the Lord wears a helmet of salvation and clothes himself with righteousness as body armor. But I think what this is saying is that God gives us his righteousness. He's clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. Now, that's a, the, the gospel message is very, very straightforward. The, the world today will tell you that the message of Christmas is Jesus came down to show us how to be good and we were struggling a wee bit. And if you just, you know, buck your ideas up, throw in a couple of New Year's resolutions, Sing um, John Lennon's Peace at Christmas, you know, and everything, everything will be great. Everything will just be wonderful, and next year will be so much better. But they won't be, because they haven't been in the past, and they won't be in the future. The garments of salvation and the robes of righteousness We can't just kit ourselves out in our own or indeed in other people's. But this is something different. 
This is the bridegroom giving us the dress to wear. Luke chapter 15 and verse 22. These garments are placed on us. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. That's the story of the prodigal son. Now, when the son came back, when he'd run away, spent all that he had, he came back to his father. He didn't deserve to have that clothing placed on him. He deserved, if anything, to be treated just as a servant. But he was given this special clothing. Sometimes our clothing, the clothing that we wear, is because of good things that we have done. Um, if you were a Roman general coming back from battle, you, you would be given particular clothing. Or if you've done something really good at school and your parents decide that they're going to buy you, if you're a girl, they're going to buy you a new dress or something like that. Sometimes uh, you listen to the adverts and you treat yourself because you're worth it. Um, you're not, but this is something that is completely different. You are not worth it, but you are going to be dressed in the greatest clothing of all. And it's speaking here like a, a wedding. It talks of the bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And it's saying about God's church, it's saying about God's people that Christ comes and he gives us great, great beauty. Now, there's an immediate negative to that that you and I will struggle with. One is if we're conscious of our own sin, we can hardly look in a mirror. You know that. Imagine, some, imagine if you were. I, I had a friend once who got very, very badly burned. And his face, it was, it was actually horrendous to look at. And he did not like to look at himself in the mirror. But spiritually speaking, if we look at ourselves in the mirror of God's word... Sometimes we don't like what we see. Sometimes we'll piously pray, oh Lord, show me my sin. Show me myself. And those who are more experienced Christians realized what a dangerous prayer that is. Because if God does it, it's hard going. It's really hard going. Because you can piously go, oh Lord, I am a worm of the earth. I am this, I am that. And Lord, show me my sin. And one day God answers your prayer and you can hardly move. Because you hadn't realized how bad it was. So you see that in yourself. But the other thing that we see is in the church. So, you know, you get to know people, you become a Christian and everything's great. And then you get to know people a bit better. And then you know about that person's sin and that person's sin and the way that those people have spoken. And boy, the devil just shows you. The devil accuses the brothers and sisters and he lets you know. He gives you his knowledge and, and, and you see other Christians and Whoa, you're, I mean, you're just shocked at how bad they are. And the church just looks ugly at times. So sometimes we're conscious of our own ugliness, and sometimes we're conscious of somebody else's ugliness. And we need to be really, really careful that that doesn't harden in us. We need the eyes of faith. 
The church in Isaiah is described sometimes as like, like in, in rags and is despised as the forsaken woman, but now she shines with amazing beauty and glory. Hosea 2.20, I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. There's a hymn, an old hymn that goes, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. Here's the thing. If you grasp what Jesus has done for you, then when the devil comes and accuses you, when you see your own sin, you say, yes, but Jesus is my beauty and righteousness. And that's why actually the answer to an overwhelming sense of sin or an, an, a, a, the answer to ugliness and everything that's involved in that, the ugliness of sin, is not, right, I'm going to go out and do better. Or it's not, I really need to buck up my ideas. I need to look more at myself. The answer is, I need to look more at Christ. McShane's famous dictum, for every look at self, take 10 looks at Christ. That's why preaching Christ, at one and the same time, preaching Christ condemns us because we see his beauty compared with our sin. But at the, at the other sense of it is, it exalts us and it causes us to rejoice because we're going, oh, that's my righteousness. He's my righteousness. Not me. I don't have to justify myself. Someone can come to you and say, listen, you are a really, really horrible person. I had someone write me yesterday. I mean, just one of these lovely letters that you get that said, David, you are so unworthy that it's not even worth hating you. Thank you. And this was someone saying they were being polite. I'm going, and do you know, do you know what my response to that? First of all, my initial self-justification is to say, what an idiot. But then my Christian justification is to go and say, do you know this? You're right. But Jesus died for me and he's my righteousness. And that's what I've got. What have you got? You got yourself? Sorry, I don't know you, but it's not enough. Yourself is not enough. So there's joy from the righteousness that comes from out with that God gives to us because of Jesus. Let's read verse 11. For as the soil makes the young plant come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. There's a righteousness that comes from within. There's a righteousness that comes from out with when God comes and he cloaks us with the, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He takes away our filthy rags. He gives us the beauty of his son and sees us as he sees his son. But there's a righteousness that comes from within and Isaiah uses a different image here, an image from plant life, something sown in the ground which from itself produces vitality and life. The robe is put on from outside, the plant grows from within. Romans 8.10 says this, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. We were up in Aberfeldy this week, and it's a lovely, lovely place, but my goodness, Scots can be cheery sometimes. So there's a couple in the Main Street in Aberfeldy, and they're talking away, and you, we couldn't help but hear it, and both myself and Annabel smiled because it was so, you know, gloomy. I, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but I just, it was priceless. I couldn't, I almost wanted to burst out laughing. I wanted to start preaching as well. They went, aye, aye, that's what happens. It obviously been told about someone dying. That's what happens. We're all born to die. 
And oh, a cheery place Aberfeldy is. You know, we're all born to die. Here we are at the Burke's Aberfeldy, and it's all so beautiful, and we're all doomed. And, you know, I thought, if only a few tourists could hear that one, we're all born to die. But actually, of course, it's true. You can't get away from it. Your body is, 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 is fading. But here's something else. He's saying, within you, there is a principle of life. The Spirit gives life because of righteousness. The work will succeed. It will succeed. Why? Because it's the process of germination and growth. When you plant the seed in the ground, it is going to bring forth fruit. And Isaiah here, as always, stresses about how that that growth will be worldwide. Praise will spring up before all nations. You see, sometimes we're like, as C.S. Lewis described in Narnia, it's always winter but never Christmas. Meanwhile, said Mr. Thomas, it is winter in Narnia and has been for ever so long, and we shall both catch cold if we stand here talking in the snow. Daughter of Eve, from the fair land of Sperum, where eternal summer reigns around the bright city of wardrobe, how would it be if you came and had tea with me? Because he lives in a world where it's cold and it's dark, and it's always been so. And the spring never comes, and the snow never melts, and the ground is always hard. But then the fruitfulness of the word comes. As the rain and the snow, says Isaiah, come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. God is saying, the world is cold, the world is hard, there is an evil, there is a problem. But God is a gardener. And he not only plants, but he gives the growth. The church is God's field, and what he wishes to grow in it are the fruits of righteousness and praise. And this proves incredibly attractive to the nations. I love the promise of righteousness. It sounds dull when you talk about righteousness sometimes. It sounds um, almost very technical. It sounds as though it's not meeting human needs but there isn't a greater need that you and I have than to know the righteousness and the forgiveness of God. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted, you who are now far from my righteousness. I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away, and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to to Zion, my splendor to Israel. So, if we, and I, I would be prepared I mean, I like arguing, so we'll argue about this anytime. I'd be prepared to demonstrate that the world is an unrighteous place, that you are an unrighteous person, that I am an unrighteous person. I would also be prepared to demonstrate that God promises us to give us righteousness. But the question then is how? And this is where justification comes in. 
the shorter catechism again. I'm in a catechism mood, so forgive me. What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. In other words, that's just simply saying there isn't a single thing you can do which will make you righteous in God's sight, but instead you accept by faith the righteousness of Christ which is given to us as we believe. Faith alone, faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace. Again, the catechism, whereby we receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He's offered to us in the gospel. I don't care if you say you're a Christian. If at any point you say, I believe in Jesus plus, plus your baptism, plus your good works, or I believe in Jesus minus. I believe in Jesus except I don't accept this about Jesus. I believe in Jesus, but I don't accept that about Jesus, and I don't believe this in the Bible. That isn't a saving faith. That's your own made-up faith, which is really like your own righteousness. It is useless. Real righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Romans 3.22, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. And here is why this is the most extraordinary news, because you could come into this church this morning never having heard anything, and as you hear about this, you could say, that's the righteousness I want, that's where I want to belong. You could pray that Jesus would forgive you, that you would accept the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and you would be a Christian, and you could have been here for 50 years hearing the gospel, never having responded, and just because you're here doesn't make you a Christian. We're justified and joyful. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, and the believing heart praises the God who has accomplished that. See, when we baptize Joseph, we're not saying, and please don't misunderstand this, we're not saying that the water makes him a Christian. It's a sign. It's a sign of God's covenant. It's a sign that He saves those who seek their righteousness from Christ, not from themselves. No Christian parent should ever teach their children, be good so you can go to heaven. You don't teach children from a very young age a works righteousness. They'll get that naturally. You don't need to teach it to them. You need to teach it out of them. What we teach is Christ is good. Christ died for you. You have been baptized. Trust in Christ. Fulfill your baptism trust in Christ. By the way, that's true for adult baptism as well. If someone's baptized as an adult, if, if they turn around and say, well, I'm a Christian because I was baptized, no. We are baptized because we rest, or sorry, we, we are Christians because we rest wholly on Christ alone. It really is that simple and yet also that difficult. Let me just say one thing why it's difficult in, in, to, to finish. It's difficult because it's part of our nature to justify ourselves, because it's part of our nature not to see how bad we are. I remember a man once complaining about people who got angry. 
The only trouble was he was really angry when he complained about it. And he was shouting and yelling. And you want to go, can't you see what you're doing? You're doing the very thing you're complaining about other people. Ah, but we justify ourselves. I remember hearing a woman complaining about other people's children. And her children were dreadful. But she couldn't see it because they were her children. It's so easy for us to see other people's faults and not to see our own. And when we see our own, to justify or to excuse them or to think that we can atone for them or to think that we can make things right. But we can't. The only person who can. I mean, if, if, if you kind of left it there, the gospel would be such a depressing message because it would just be saying you're all in a mess and that's it and you can't fix it. But the gospel, the great good news is that Jesus came to give us his righteousness. And that's why at the beginning of that, this wee snippet that we looked at, he says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. If you are a Christian, rejoice in that and don't seek to justify yourself in anything. And if you are not a Christian, then you need to come to know Christ and to uh, love him and serve him and accept him. Amen. Let's uh, bow our heads in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. We pray your blessing to be upon it. We pray that each of us would see your beauty. We ask that we would understand and we would appreciate all that you have given to us, what it cost you, and that you would clothe us in your righteousness. Lord, may the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. In your name, amen. We're going to sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.